Congratulations and celebrations When I tell everyone that you're in love with me Congratulations and jubilations I want the world to know I'm happy as can be This has got to be easily one of the most sung songs in the world at christenings, weddings and bar mitzvahs. Well, maybe not bar mitzvahs, but I'm sure there must be a Hebrew equivalent. The year was 1968. The singer was Cliff Richard and the event was the Eurovision Song Contest. But it didn't win. Cliff was pipped at the post by 20-year-old Maciel, a Spanish senorita singing La La La, which roughly translates as La La La. She won by just un point. Eurovision history is full of songs like La La La. There was Boom Bada Boom, Monaco's entry in 1967. Boom Boom for Denmark in 78. Ring a Ding for the Netherlands, also in 1967. Not to be confused with Ding a Dong, sung by Tietjen eight years later. Or my all-time favourite, Abani B, the Israeli winner. Ah, great stuff. They don't write them like that anymore. Now, here's another piece of music you might recognise. Te Deum, composed by Marc-Antoine Charpentier in the 18th century, and the signature tune for the Eurovision Song Contest since day one. First aired in that context... 49 years ago, at the very first Eurovision held in Lugano, the Italian-speaking region of Switzerland. Seven countries took part and each entered two songs. There was no televote like we have today, just a panel of adjudicators made up from the participating nations. And they decided between them that refrain, Switzerland's own entry, was the best. And the rest, as they say, is history. Now, if you're wondering how I come to have all this wonderful knowledge, I can tell you that it's all thanks to a good friend of mine, Paul G. Sheridan or Paul G for short. Paul G is the Euro guru. Ah, found it now. So this is off a compilation I have. and uh, Amongst his just... massive collection of Eurovision records, Where videos and DVDs like, uh, is that very first winner performed by Liz Asia. After all, you did see it on television for those of us... Who, well, I wasn't alive then, of course, <laughs> but for those who were fortunate enough to have a TV set, they would have actually watched it um, well, pr- press on play the old there, black and white. Mind. Thank you very much indeed, and we'll have a listen. OK, we press play there. Sounds like a big band, doesn't it? It sounds like a big band because it was a big band because in those days you had the big orchestra and the orchestra was uh, very much a prevalent part of the contest right up to and including 1998. <laughs> Relaxing, very relaxing. Yeah, so uh, yes, you could waltz to it. You could, but then the singer of that particular song didn't just rest there because she participated again the following year and the year after that. 
And did she win? Uh, no. 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 Uh, in 1958, she actually came... Well, she came third in 58, but in 57, she came last. So it just goes to show you, you can't win them all. <laughs> Is it a short song? Is it a long song? It's about uh, three minutes-ish in length. Where yeah. there are always rules about how long a song can be. There is nowadays, uh, isn't there? There is nowadays, and it has been since around the 60s, since the early 60s. But uh, uh, at that particular time, no, uh, because the Italian entry in 1957 actually clocked in at over five minutes. So that was still... To, My God. To this day, that's the longest ever You, you wouldn't get away with that. I mean, you wouldn't many, get away with that at all. How no. many entered nowadays? Nowadays, uh, this year, 2005, there will be 40 entries divided between the semi-final. 26 will be in the semi-final. And then 10 of those 26 will join the 14 automatically qualified countries from last year. Uh, so a total of 24 countries then will go through to the final two days later. And you're not happy about that, are you? I Because we have to qualify. We have to qualify, but there again, we were expecting that because uh, last year's entry was did leave a lot to be desired. And uh, we were lucky to be in it at all. Thankfully, relegation now is history. And uh, that was around for about 10 years. And... Uh, Yep, no, we have to qualify, but it's only... It's but there only is right. a curious thing here, Paul. Like, for mm. example, don't Britain and France, is it? Always, even if they do badly in the competition, well, automatically qualify. There are four countries uh, that uh, automatically qualify because they are known as the big four, if you like, i.e. they're the four largest financial contributors to the Eurovision or EBU coffers. Uh, France and UK, you mentioned, the other two being Spain and Germany. Uh, so, yeah, win, lose or draw, they will automatically that's hardly qualify. Fair, is it? It's hardly fair. But if it's that's, a contest, it's a contest. It, it is, but that's the way it is. I don't make the rules. The rules are made there by the EBU. You'll have to take it up with the man of the EBU when you meet him. Oh, Savantis Doxalius, yes, he is the man. We will, uh, I'll certainly uh, be asking him about that. Because, yes, a lot of the other nations do think it's unfair, uh, especially when the UK scored no points at all in 2003. And, of course, it was a big uh, debate last year. Why are they automatically in the final if uh, they didn't score any points? But it's purely for that reason. Uh, They're one of the big four, so they'll never be out of the running. You're passionate about this competition, Paul. I have been for uh, as long as I can remember, because initially it was probably like uh, the smash hits or the uh, big pops, pop festivals that are around now, because back then that, that was really what it was. Uh, it was a coming together of all the big names with their new songs uh, representing... Uh, the majority of Western Europe, remember, in those days, up until 1993, uh, before the breakup of Yugoslavia and the Soviet Union, it was still very much Western Europe in the competition. It's a link to history in a great way in many in ways. In a great way it is, yeah, because remember, the very first contest was literally just over a decade after the Second World War ended. So with all that fighting and uh, shooting and killing, then uh, you... Uh, you then bring in this song contest, which emerged out of the San Remo Song Festival in Italy. Uh, that's really where it all stemmed from. And it was a bringing together of the European nations in song. So when did you first get into it? Uh, for me, it would have been around the late 1960s. Dare I ask how old you were? Oh, I was about six. Only six? Only six. Well, don't say only six. <laughs> because, I mean, that's certainly old enough. I mean, there are plenty of five and six-year-olds out there. Even when I remember two years ago, these little ones of three and four saying, go, go, Mickey Joe. <laughs> My God, they were passionate about him because that was the very first Eurostar competition. But for me, that's when it was. That was 1969. In, uh, it came from Madrid in Spain. Where did Watching, you see it? Were you at home? 
I was, yes, watching in glorious black and white. And uh, what baffled me towards the end of it was as the votes were coming in, uh, and that, that completes the votes of the Finnish jury, Finland were last to vote, and uh, four countries clocked up 18 points each. And I thought, I don't understand what's going on. The announcer goes to the scrutineer and says, uh, well, what do we do now? And he says, well, we have four winners this year. Because there was no, they hadn't uh, determined a, a ruling to declare an outright winner. So four countries won the contest. <laughs> Very bizarre. What, did they have four trophies? They did. Surprisingly, <laughs> they did. I, I'm surprised they didn't have more because uh, in the medals... In those days, it were just the the Grand Eurovision Grand Prix medals, and uh, they actually they actually did have four of them because one would have gone to the performer, one each to the composers, and one to the TV organization that submitted the song. So to save any embarrassment, they gave each of them to the singers. Ah, okay. One of which was the UK representative Lulu. Of course, Lulu was probably the most famous name in it. Um, our own representative Muriel Day probably wasn't as well known mm. back then but uh, Lulu was the big name and she was one of the four winners with the song Boom Bang A Bang Oh I remember that My heart goes boom bang a bang boom bang a bang when you are near Boom bang a bang boom bang a bang loud in my ear Pounding away pounding away won't you be mine Boom bang a bang bang all the time You know the way things happen. I'm talking about major historic events. And everyone knows exactly where they were and what they were doing. Well, I have one for you now. Where were you when Diana won the Eurovision Song Contest for Ireland? Hmm? Any ideas? Well, believe it or not, it's a fact that more Irish people watched Diana on television that night than saw Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. It's one small step for man. One Paul G was one of them, only seven years old and just two months away from making his first Holy Communion. And there he was, besotted with Dana, on stage at the Rye Congress Centrum in Old Amsterdam. So what better place to take him on a trip down memory lane? Mind you, we were only there five minutes when he struck up a conversation with one of the locals about great Dutch entries of the past. So what I'd say to you now is um, the Netherlands now has a long association, longer than Ireland has. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's been associated with Eurovision since the very beginning, back in 1956. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would be uh, the performers representing uh, the Netherlands who you would uh, you'd remember? Uh, the first one was, uh, I think, uh, Corrie Scholte, of iets dergelijks. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I say it in English. Oh, you can say it yeah, in English. I'm awfully sorry. Yeah, I don't know uh, so quickly. I think, yeah, two men. I, I know uh, ABBA, but uh, yes. for the Dutch, it's yes. very difficult do you to remember, say. Do you remember uh, who the Dutch duo were that year when ABBA won? Uh, do you remember Mouton McNeil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I see a star. Yeah, but he, he died. He died before yeah, Christmas. I saw that. Yeah, yes, yeah. I, I heard about She's that. She's singing alone or, or sometimes yes. uh, with other girls. Maggie McNeil. Maggie yeah. McNeil, yes. yeah. She's still around anyway. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes it's very good. Because uh, after Martin McNeil, six years later in 1980, uh, when he came back to Holland to The Hague, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was the uh, representative for Holland that year. Do oh, you remember yes. with the song Amsterdam? Amsterdam. Yes, in Amsterdam, Amsterdam. Oh, yeah, Amsterdam. very quickly. That? Do you remember that yeah, song? Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you say it here, you remember it better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the likes of Teachin? Who Teachin, last yeah. Yes, ding a dong, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. If you begin. <laughs> well, yes, I can fall in. Yeah, because uh, it was in English that yeah. year. When you're feeling all right, everything is uptight. Listen to a song that goes ding, ding a dong. There will be no summer when you sit down. Do you want to finish it off? Yeah, but I don't know the word. Paul G. talking to someone about the Eurovision Song Contest is like dropping two saltpedine into a glass of water. The effect is the same, and a delight to behold, but nothing compared to seeing him on the stage where Dana performed for Ireland in 1970. And now, the moment we've all been waiting for. Dana, the little girl from Ireland on whom all our hopes are pinned. What can I say about Dana? You know everything already. Now, 35 years ago was uh, a big moment for Ireland. Uh, it was the 15th annual Eurovision Song Contest, which came from here. And uh, the Netherlands, uh, by chance, drew, lots, uh, drew the lot to stage the contest because four countries had won it the year before. So uh, which country was going to do it? Well, the Netherlands did. They won the lot. Uh, they won the uh, right to stage it. Here we are now in the Rye, Congress Centrum, Amsterdam. And... Only 12 countries took part in this particular contest. All the Scandinavian countries decided to boycott the event because of the four-way tie. And Portugal, having chosen their entry in their national contest, decided to pull out as well. So only 12 countries in the competition. The last of those was our very own Dana, singing all kinds of everything. She had to wait till the end to perform the number. And uh, there she was, all of 18 years of age, from Derry's Bogside area, in this very short, bonnie dress, sitting on, not a stool, but a black plinth. A plinth? A plinth, yeah. <laughs> Why she was sitting on that, I don't know. Why didn't she stand like the rest of them? But anyway, she sat down on the job, delivered the song, and lo and behold, all of Europe liked the song, and she won handsomely. So what's it like to be standing on the exact stage? Well, I am. I, I don't know. Uh, words fail me at this moment, Derek, because uh, you know it's. I suppose it's a dream come true to actually be here on the stage where she stormed to victory, and of course it was a, a first for Ireland as well. When you think that she beat the likes of uh, a noted performer of that particular time, Mary Hopkin, who was singing for the UK, and of course Mary had already a string of hits behind her, and Paul McCartney was producing her records up to that point, and uh, even himself and John Lennon had written her second hit. But here she was, spring of 1970, singing for the UK, knock knock who's there, strong favourite to win the competition. But it didn't. It didn't. She lost by just six points. It was actually, from what I remember, the Belgian jury that swung the vote in favour of Dana because it wasn't the 10, 8, 10, 12 point system that you have today. It was 10 points from each country to distribute exactly how they wished. They gave Monaco one point and the other nine to Dana. 
Now that hadn't been done before. <laughs> Allo Amsterdam, ici Bruxelles, voici Bonsoir. les résultats du jury belge. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. Monaco, un vote. Monaco, un vote. But look, it's a fantastic theatre. It is a fantastic theatre. Here you had the performers were more centre stage here, and the set, uh, incredible set because it was made up of like these huge silver semicircles and very large. Well, they looked like metal balls. I'm sure they weren't metal, otherwise they wouldn't have uh, held up. And then you had the scoreboard over here dominating the right-hand side of the uh, of the set and the scrutineers were actually sitting in front of it alongside the presenter when she was calling up the juries and uh, the only green room shots i remember when they were cutting away uh, during the uh, during the voting was only of the two leaders dana and mary hopkin you didn't see anybody else during the voting except those two And so there you are. Uh, and that's really where it all began it's for really, Ireland. It's really where it all began for Ireland. I mean, uh, our first entry was five years earlier in Naples with the late Butch Moore. And uh, the rest of the 60s, we achieved uh, notable uh, top five placings. And uh, come 1970s, it was a good start to the, uh, the new decade. Clinching victory here in uh, the Rye in Amsterdam with Dana and all kinds of everything. But well, now that you're standing on the stage, yes. the exact stage, and probably yeah. the exact spot, if probably the known, exact spot, yes. where Dana sat on her plinth. Yes. Do you want to give a few bars? Oh God, where would we start? Uh, at the beginning. Uh, well, well, I won't start at the beginning. Let's go a little further in, okay? Uh, seagulls and aeroplanes, things of the sky, winds that go howling, breezes that sigh, city sights, neon lights. Grey skies or blue, all kinds of everything remind me of you. How do you top that? Singing Dana's song on the stage where Dana sang her song. Will you top it by meeting the great woman in person? Dana, lovely to meet you Thank again. You It's too. been a long time. I met you about ten years ago previously. <laughs> I was trying to think when Paul we G has met Dana before, but he's never really had a good chat with her about the Eurovision till now. And he had so many questions for her. Like, did she know that Belgium had given her nine points? I was hardly watching the scores at all because I thought I... Not the song, or I thought I would never have a chance. Um, so I was just watching everybody else soaking all the atmosphere in and trying to keep it in my head. Then they moved us from a back room where we were to the side of the stage. It was during the walk over to the side of the stage that that very big vote came in. Yeah. 
So on the side of the stage, it was like a countdown to me to reality. Uh, it would be over and I'd go back to Ireland and I'd never be standing like I was that night mm-hmm. with all these glittering stars around me, <laughs> remembering Julio Iglesias sang for Spain. He did, yes, yes. Although he wasn't as well known uh, as, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Mary Hotkin was probably the biggest star at uh, that time. Absolutely. Uh, Julio was uh, coming up on the rails at, uh, at that particular point. He may he have been was. big in his own country, but he wasn't as big internationally. Tan dentro de mí Conservo el calor Que me hace sentir Conservo tu amor Tan dentro um, And was it, was it extra, did you feel extra nervous having to go on last out of the 12 entries? I, I certainly felt, because I had not watched any of the rehearsals mm-hmm. because I knew the worst thing in the world is to compare yourself to others. Yeah. Um, I hadn't watched any of it. So I was seeing them for the first time in that room waiting for them to, you know, as we waited to go on to sing ourselves. Yeah. And of course, everybody else is more professional than you feel and they, they look better than you look and, you know, all these things mm-hmm. go on in your mind. Um, but I think I was just so overawed being there. I certainly never thought of winning it. Never crossed my mind. Um, I was just drinking everything in. Having said that, all these years later, do you still watch the contest each year? I I missed quite a few years because we were out of the country, Mm -hmm. out of Europe. Um, Since I've come back, I do try to watch it. It's harder to watch it in its entirety because the programme now is so long. I mean, it's a physical ordeal. (laughs) (laughs) But I do watch it as much as I can. I think it's going through a transition phase at the Mm. minute. Um, It's less about the song and more about the production on the stage. Uh, Somebody said to me, it's like, it's Duffy's Circus, actually. <laughs> the closer you are to Duffy's Circus. <laughs> but when you look at last year's Ukrainian winner, I mean, everybody echoes that sentiment. They say, oh, is it about the song? Because nobody remembers the song. They say they only remember how she looked in the, in the guise of Xena, Warrior Princess, and the actual dance routine on the stage. They say, you remember the dance, you remember how she looked. We don't remember how the song went. Yes, <laughs> I think it's, it's going through a transitional phase at the minute. Mm-hmm. Remembering that the year I, I sang, mm-hmm. the German entrant was a, a girl who was dressed in what looked like tinfoil from yes. head to foot. Katja Epstein. Katja yes. Epstein. One, of, one of Germany's <laughs> big stars of the day because she was in it three times. That was her first year, the year you were in it, and then she was in it again the following year when it was in the gaiety. Do you remember her in yeah. that one? Oh my goodness, I yeah. hadn't forgotten that. Yeah. When she came third again. Now you one of the you're a Eurovision buff, I think you know. Uh, all the it details. has been known, but uh, you know, you still remember these things, you know, because she was still a big name, a huge and star in Germany, and she had yes. silver boots that came she up to did. her thighs yes. that would have actually come up to my armpits. <laughs> I remember that, but um, I I think that it'll settle down. Remembering mm. that the new countries coming in mm. the sophistication if you like of the music scene has always differed in the European continent Uh, what's popular, I mean England was always kind of leading the field musically um, in trends Mm -hmm. I mean in trends of music and then of course Ireland was the Eurovision uh, trophy winner, I mean Mm -hmm. we led the field, now we're seeing a mixture of styles, we probably see some political voting 
Yes. Uh, you know, I have no doubt the new countries coming in will say, well, the old lot have had it their way for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. They certainly don't want, want to win it again, yeah. and they'll vote for each other. It'll settle down. What did you think uh, four years after your own victory when ABBA made a major assault on the song contest? Were you blown over by them now when they, uh, when they won? Well, it's been really a, a launching pad for uh, not that many who have made lifelong careers, but ABBA, I mean, took on the world. Um, of course, Celine Dion, yes. her Eurovision when she sang for Belgium, when she could hardly speak English. Uh, <laughs> she was a French-Canadian. She was a French-Canadian, that's right. Yeah. But that was the start of her career, although mm-hmm. Celine doesn't like to highlight that now. She doesn't, no. And um, uh, Julio Iglesias as well, who we mentioned earlier, Julio also Iglesias. denies any uh, uh, involvement with Eurovision. He says, no, no, I didn't do that. And he's reminded, well, it's all there on tape. You know, it's still there. Well, he, he, he didn't win, you see. That's the problem. <laughs> you if, did. <laughs> if he had won, you know, uh, it's different. He could say, yes, I, I won it. But yeah. it's, it's difficult when you're a world star and you say, well, no, I, went, I didn't win. <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact it was his own song as well, he'd written it himself, and he appeared to, even when you watch it back, he appeared to have forgotten the words halfway through the song. Really? Yeah, because they cut back, uh, whether it was by, by sheer embarrassment, they cut back to the orchestra conductor, which they didn't do with any of the other songs, and then uh, when he picked it up, they just quickly cut back to him, so it... Uh, it looked pretty suspect. Really? Yeah. Well, the Spanish team mm. were so enthusiastic. Yeah. I mean, they were really enthusiastic, and they had armfuls of stickers vote mm-hmm. for Spain. And <laughs> they were everywhere over the hotel, everywhere. And if you stood still for longer than a couple of seconds, you'd be covered mm-hmm. in stickers from head to foot. Yeah. They just put these stickers <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> they were tremendous now, tremendous yeah. enthusiasm. Um, mm-hmm. So I will always remember him for the stickers, and I will always remember him for the black cape that he wore. Yeah before he went on stage yeah. he walked up and down and he would do his exercises vocal mm-hmm. exercises and he would swing this cape it looked like a matador mm-hmm. and I was totally mesmerised and totally embarrassed because I'd never seen anybody do that yeah. so I thought that poor fella you know there's definitely something not all there <laughs> <laughs> but of course he's a huge star Como buscan las olas, la orilla del Despite his obvious love, enthusiasm and remarkably detailed knowledge of the Eurovision, Paul G. hates to be described as a fan. So if he's not a fan, what is he? Maybe he's an anorak. No, no, I am not an anorak. I, I but I look around, I see your collection... I know how much you're into the Eurovision Song Contest. You are the Euro guru. So they tell me. So they tell me. But there's nobody in this country. There's hardly anybody in this world who knows as much as you do about the Eurovision Song Contest. This has been said. So why aren't you an anorak? I don't like the word. People who know about trains are anoraks. The people who watch planes are anoraks. That's different. That's just watching. Methods of transport, you know, that's a, they are anoraks. But uh, for those of us who uh, love the musical events, that's hardly being an anorak. I mean, because I love all genres of music anyway. I mean, as you can see here, Derek, the record collection goes way beyond Eurovision. Uh, that would only make up maybe 35% of my collection in this house. But... Um, being into the contest is just like another extension of a musical genre for me. And I'm sure it is for many other people as well. 
Carrie Crowley has a name for people who are in the Eurovision Song oh, Contest. Oh, Carrie, yes. Now, about uh, the time she uh, presented the contest uh, seven, eight years ago now, uh, she coined the phrase for us, Eurosexuals. Now, I thought, now, that is an original <laughs> name. I thought, yeah, give us that name. I like that. <laughs> But has it got... I mean, do you find that it's losing credibility? Years ago, when I was certainly growing up as a kid, mm. everybody watched the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. It was the thing to watch. Ireland were participating. It was like the Aga Khan Trophy and the show jumping, and everybody watched it. We didn't have many channels anyway. We had BBC mm. and RT and ITV, right. and that was pretty much it. Yes. So you watched it, and you watched it on RTE. Mm-hmm. In the days when... Uh, you're talking about when Mike Murphy and Marty Whelan used to commentate. Well, Marty's doing it again, of course, but uh, and then Pat Kenny took it over in the 90s. But then you had the choice. Do you watch the RTE commentary? Do you watch the BBC commentary with uh, Mr. Wogan? Which and, one do uh, you watch? Uh, I tend to watch the RTE commentary, and then I uh, also tape the BBC commentary as well. So I have the two versions, and I can always look back at, uh, look back at the Wogan commentary. What do you think of Wogan? Because Wogan tends to... Well, let's be honest, he takes the piss out of it. He does, but initially, when he first started doing it, he didn't. He he was actually quite straight-laced about it at the start, but uh, as he progressed into the 80s, when he was taking it over full-time, then he really started to be derogatory about the whole thing. And, uh, oh, Lord, he... Uh, the the attitude he has is, but it's so bad. I love it. That's uh, they're his very words. He says, "No way would I give it up." He, he says it's tacky, and he says it just goes to show how far apart we all are in Europe by the songs that each country submits. But uh, he wouldn't miss it for the world. He wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't give it up at all because he still loves it so much. But then we all do. But do but you for like the, his commentary? Or do you get annoyed? I do get annoyed uh, a lot at his commentary, yes. But it was ironic to note that uh, in Birmingham 98, when he was actually presenting the contest... With, co-presenting. He was one. co-presenting with Ulrika Jonsson. So it was, uh, even though it was in Britain, uh, neither of the presenters were British. That's neither here nor there. Here nor there. But I, I noticed that uh, when leading into the Dana International performance, I thought, oh, my God, is he going to say something insulting here, you know? But uh, surprise, he surprised everybody by not being, uh, being insulting. He just said, uh, well, Dana is certainly different. And I thought, well, clearly he had to be on his best behaviour here because he was actually co-presenting as well as commentating for... BBC viewers, but uh, if, 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 if anything, uh, in 98, he was on his best behaviour throughout. Well, if T for Terry was watching his P's and Q's on the night, one P for Pat, who wasn't, was our own Pat Kenny. Birmingham, 1998, uh, the winning performer from Israel. Dan what, International. Dan International. What, may, what did you uh, make of her now? I had a very long interview with Dan International mm-hmm. in Dan International's hotel. Yeah. And I felt, at the time, a very intelligent, interesting person, but I felt that the Eurovision was really the last thing on Dan's mm-hmm. agenda, mm-hmm. that there were bigger things uh, to do. And I think I may have made a a sort of a commentating gaffe when I referred to he, she or it, um, <laughs> which got me into terrible trouble. Uh, and if I was to think about it again, I might not have said it, but I said it and, 
you know, you can't pull it back. It's live, it happens, and that's the way it goes. And you had a little laugh the following year when she uh, attempted to pick up the trophy and fell over with it. Uh, the, uh, the trophy, you may remember, went flying. And uh, was the uh, remark you made about the, uh, the Jean-Paul Gaultier dress, too many feathers, was it? <laughs> <laughs> ah, memories, memories. Memories, yes. <laughs> Just in case you were thinking that only 10% of the population are Eurosexual, think again. I can confirm that in a recent survey carried out for this programme, by me, 100% of all those questioned confessed that they had seen the Eurovision Song Contest on one or more occasions, or that they had a favourite Eurovision song. Case in point, Dave McHugh a work colleague and lifelong devotee of Rory Gallagher. I, I do actually have a favourite Eurovision song. Go on then. And um, how it came about was, I remember the first LP which I ever got. Now, people always tend to remember the first single that they ever got. But I remember the first LP I ever got in 1981. It was on the Warwick label and it was in the record shop in Fibsborough. This record shop is gone, but, I remember, but it was the year after Johnny Logan had won the Eurovision in 1980. Now, the first time... What's another year for someone who's lost everything that he owns? Go on, anyway. Yeah, we look good singing this. <laughs> so anyway, I got this LP, I brought it home. Um, I'd recognise some of the names in it. Uh, Butch Moore, Dickie Rock, uh, the Swarbrigg, Stana, stuff like that, because uh, my mother and her sisters would have had... There was, there was um, little seven-inch vinyl LPs lying all around the attic, and I used to love looking through these things. Anyway, the first tune on that LP was also the first song that ever represented Ireland in the Eurovision, 1965. Butch, Butch Moore. On Walking the Streets in the Rain. And Derek, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you now and tell you, that's my favourite Eurovision song. And um, I, I remember that. I remember being in, in Butlins that year, and I remember that they just kept playing and How old were over you? and over and over. Um, I was about seven. Right. Seven years of age. So your favourite then is Butch Moore? Butch Moore, well, I'm walking the streets in the rain. Give us a blast. It, okay. There's no one listening now, is there? Nobody listening. And, and come here, this won't go any further outside of this room. No You're not further. recording, sure you not? Not at all. My heart feels like breaking Cause I'll never see you again Still nobody knows I am crying as I'm walking the streets in the rain My tears are mixed through the raindrops And I feel like I can't stand the pain Still nobody knows I am crying Cause I'm walking the streets in the rain there you go. Proof, if it were needed, that the world is full of closets. Now, if Mecca is the spiritual home of Muslims, then the Globe Arena in Stockholm is, in a roundabout way, the light source for followers of the Eurovision. They congregate here in their thousands each year to bear witness to the Melody Festival and the selection of a song that will represent Sweden at the Eurovision Song Contest. Tickets for this great event are like gold dust. Hey, just out of interest, how much are you selling the tickets for? Okay, English, uh, English Ireland. Uh, okay. from Ireland. Okay, yeah. 500, 500. Same price. Same price, yeah. yeah. Pretty easy, that's about 55 euro. Uh, face value, you're uh, selling it for value. face value. Yeah. And how many did you sell? Uh, ten. Ten? Yeah. Ten, that's very good. God, ticket house at a national song contest. It's not the, first time, not the first time you see them every year. Always standing outside the metro station, beside the Globe Arena, 
you will see at least half a dozen of them selling tickets. A bit like the GAA All-Ireland Final. (laughs) Paul G has been making this annual pilgrimage since the year 2001. It was back then he became friendly with Camilla O'Gorman, a Swedish girl of Irish extraction. Her dad was from Fidra. And the two have been best pals ever since. Camilla, hi. <laughs> how are you? I made it. Oh, you made it. <laughs> hi, Camilla, how are you? Hi. I'm Derek. This is Derek. Hi, I'm... And it's busy. So now, yes. So now, fourth, fifth Melody Festival. It is. Yes. Yeah, it's a this year it's difficult. Last year we knew who was going to win. This year it's one of four. Yeah, definitely. Who do you, th- you think is going to do it? Well, I think Stenmark will do it. You think Stenmark? Yeah, Martin one. Stenmark. Yes. Well, I'll go with either him or... The Stenmark. show itself is pretty spectacular and Sweden's hottest pop stars are only too willing to strut their stuff. The Melody Festival attracts the biggest television audience of the year. And just like the Eurovision itself, people switch on in their millions just to see the voting. I'm wondering why everybody goes to Sweden for the Melody Festival. After all, they've only won the competition four times. Ireland has won it seven, more than any other country. In fact, in the mid-90s, it felt as if the Eurovision was ours to keep. President, Lord Mayor, Taoiseach and in particular visiting delegates from all over Europe, Radio Sharon is pleased to welcome you once again to the Point Theatre in Dublin for what has almost become the annual Eurovision Song Contest from Ireland. There's been a lot of songs sung leading up to the 50th anniversary of the Eurovision Song Contest and as I said earlier, everyone has a favourite. Paul G has a particular favourite from 1974. By that time, a transformation had occurred and the groups began to take over. In that same year, enter a group from Sweden, ABBA. Uh, Waterloo was by no means a typical Eurovision song. And why should it be? I don't think there's any such thing as a typical Eurovision song. But Waterloo was just a, a basic pop song, which they'd entered in their national song contest. It won went to the Eurovision in Brighton that year, and the rest is history. That still, for me, remains the biggest and most successful song of the 70s. The final of this year's Eurovision Song Contest will take place on Saturday night in Kiev. Ireland will be represented by brother and sister Donna and Joseph McCall. Their song, Love, with a question mark, was written by Carl Broderick. I've been writing songs since I was 14 mm-hmm. and I want to be a songwriter. That's what I want in life. Mm-hmm. And apart from that, I, I, I would love to win the Eurovision Song Contest. And love is the title of your song. Let's not forget the great big question mark at the end of it. Love with a question mark. <coughs> that, 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 yeah, everybody's asking me about that. What's the question mark? 
and it's uh, in the in the lyrics it's like love can you fake the highs can mm-hmm. you take the lows can you handle everything love throws so that's really what it's about it's um it's definitely love and i hate when they leave out the question mark well we have to make sure that uh, the uh, ukrainian tv uh, network uh, puts that in on the night but when you think that all the commentators from the different countries they'll be translating this into their own uh, uh, languages like amour, amore, charlec, uh, <laughs> gras. Well, of course, I don't think Marty Whelan will be saying gras now when he's. Uh, what is it? In, what is it in um, in German? I love you. Is ich liebe dich. Liebe is uh, okay. love in German. So yes. Uh, but then they'd probably say Lieber because the question mark would have to come in there as See, well. I knew I love you as Ich liebe dich. Yeah. Well, I didn't know which part was love, so I'm glad it's <laughs> Lieber. <laughs> <laughs> This is no laughing matter, because this is the first time in Ireland's history in the competition that we have to qualify from the semi-final. Well, now what we're going to do is we're going to watch the 14 songs that are already in the final. Ten from the semi will join them on the Saturday night, on the 21st of May. Okay. And uh, the song that, uh, the country that drew the first position in the final, it has to be one of the semis. Yes. Uh, song number two has gone to the UK, so we start with that one. Absolutely. Paul G, before you do that, yeah. and this is going to be the 50th anniversary of the Eurovision Song yes. Contest, yeah. you've seen them all before. Yes. How many songs are in this year? 39 countries participating this year. There would have been 40, but the Lebanon were kicked out uh, the day after Patrick's Day because they stated to the European Broadcasting Union that they would not be broadcasting the Israeli entry during the live broadcast, which is a, a breach of the rules. So More they, politics. More politics, unfortunately, but when you have an Arab state in, in it against Israel, which would have been a first, uh, well, then clearly politics prevail, and so the Lebanon were not prepared to take the whole broadcast. So the first semi-final and the first time Ireland is in the semi-final yes, it is, happens yeah. tomorrow night. Excusing Carl's presence, mm-hmm. do you think firstly Donna and Joseph will progress to the final on Saturday night and then do you think Ireland will take the 50th anniversary of the Eurovision Song Contest? Well, I'll answer that uh, in the order you gave it to me, Derek. Yes, uh, we will progress to the final because uh, the song has all the hallmarks of uh, a Eurovision contender. And please, God, I hope that Donna and Joe uh, do it justice, the justice it deserves. As for winning on the Saturday night, well, we just have to wait and see. It's a case of may the best song win. Very diplomatic, Carl. Oh, I know. I know he loves it, though. (laughs) (laughs) Paul G, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Derek. Derek.